There is deep unease among doctors about rising demand for elective surgery and apparent growing unmet need. This is despite major boosts in government funding for the often life-changing surgery and more operations nationwide. As this Radio New Zealand Insight programme has been finding out, these improvements are coming up against an ageing population, growing numbers of residents and tight finances. Elective or non-urgent surgery includes hip and knee replacement operations and treatments for hernias, varicose veins and cataracts, and it's not always easy to get. I was on Tremadol every day, quite a serious painkiller. I get quite a bit of pain round about the hernia, and I've been told that if it bursts, I've got a minimum amount of time to get to the hospital because it's quite serious. Most people don't have the option I had of being able to borrow that much money. I feel that I have been not treated fairly. It seems really short-sighted not to do them when, you know, the recovery can be really good. 165,000 people had elective surgery in public hospitals last year. That's 11% more in the past three years alone, when hospitals have been required by the government to do more elective operations and more quickly. They're delivering, but doctors worry about those left waiting and about the future, with one labelling the current situation a perfect storm. I'm Karen Brown, and this insight looks at whether it is getting harder to get elective surgery. This was an old villa, actually, it was, uh, which we bought in about 2004, I think, and it was all done up, and then we started working here in 2007. Christchurch surgeon Philip Bagshaw is showing off the country's first and largest charity hospital in Harewood Road, Christchurch. He and others set it up to provide free elective surgery for those unable to get treatment at the local public hospital or to pay for surgery at a private facility. About 280 volunteers, including surgeons and anaesthetists, provide up to 1,500 procedures a year in well-equipped surroundings, including a large operating theatre. There's no real better theatre around than this one. We've got very modern equipment, everything we need really. It's bigger than a standard theatre. Hernias are among the most common procedures done, and that's what's brought Chris, a chef, in to see Mr Bagshaw. From the minute I, I wake up, I can feel it sliding out of my body <laughs> and it's going straight into my testicle. So you'd imagine that it's putting a lot of pressure in that area and sometimes it can be larger than an orange. Chris was referred to the Canterbury Charity Hospital by his family doctor because Christchurch Hospital couldn't fit him in. He doesn't know why that was, but is certain he needs the operation. I've just been told that if I don't have the operation, there's a chance of a complication where my intestine will get strangled, and that puts me in immediate danger. And if I'm not around people of the knowledge of my history, and within half an hour, an hour, to some pretty um, good surgeons and stuff, my life could be threatened. A construction worker, Malcolm, also has a hernia from moving concrete piles for houses. I would be moving over 100 weight panels of aerated concrete for customers, so I was manhandling sheets of that at the time, and it was just one of these things. I was lying back in the sun, and I noticed a bump and a lump, and that's when I went to the doctor, but because I couldn't specifically point to the time it happened, I had to... Come here. He's not covered by ACC because he couldn't specify when the injury occurred, has no health insurance and is strapped for cash. I just can't 
get my head round how I, I couldn't get it done normally, but I had to come to a charity hospital. Elizabeth is another referred to the charity hospital by her family doctor, this time with persistent stomach pains. Sometimes it feels like I've got something um, chewing away in my stomach and it's quite bad. I don't feel like eating very much. She's worried about the possibility she could have cancer or the digestive disease diverticulitis and is relieved she will now have a colonoscopy. She too doesn't understand why she couldn't get seen in the public system. I didn't give any reason. I think they, maybe they thought there wasn't enough um, symptoms that I had to have one. I don't know, but um, this has been an ongoing pain for quite a while. So I thought, you know, try and um, get it sorted. And, and financially, I couldn't afford to go privately. She's unimpressed about her quest to get seen by a specialist. We've paid taxes for, for years. I'm 54 years old, so I think she should be um, allowed to have a, a procedure like that to, to get things checked out. After working for you know years, all the taxes you pay, it's, I think it's pretty bad that they you know, turn you down. Chris, Malcolm and Elizabeth, who didn't want to use their full names, represent what many refer to as unmet need. Those New Zealanders who think they need elective surgery but struggle to get it in the public system because of resource constraints. Under the current system, GPs refer patients whom they believe may need surgery to their local DHB for what's known as a first specialist assessment. If hospital specialists agree it's needed, the assessment must be provided within four months. Those assessed are given a priority score based on answers to questions aimed at determining their level of need. They won't make the all-important group selected for surgery, however, unless their score is enough to get them across a treatment threshold. Everyone admitted to the waiting list for surgery must also be done within four months under a government target and hospitals have to weigh whether they have the staffing and other resources to achieve that before they can put any patient on the list. In some DHBs, high-priority patients who fail to get on the waiting list go into a grey area known as active review, going forward for surgery when space becomes available or back to their GP with all others who fail to make the cut-off for the waiting list. It's upsetting for patients who've been referred to a DHB but who get turned back. Gail, who also preferred not to give her full name, lives at the top of a steep path and 98 steps, 120 metres above the road below. She's getting back to normal life, including helping mind grandchildren, but is troubled by her fight for a hip replacement, needed because of a bone infection in childhood. In 2013, the pain was, was you know, particularly bad for a long time. I couldn't sleep. So I went to see my GP who arranged for me to have an x-ray, another x-ray, and talked to her about the results and she was quite matter-of-fact, you've got no cartilage left, you need a hip replacement. So she wasn't expecting this response in a letter following a first specialist assessment and her local hospital last year. Capital and Coast District Health Board gives priority to patients according to their level of need to ensure that those in the most serious condition receive surgery first. The specialist has recommended that you would benefit from the surgery. However, your current condition falls below the level of need at which we are able to offer you surgical treatment at this time. We realise that this is not the outcome you are hoping for and apologise for any distress this causes. It did distress the 57-year-old, who was a keen gardener and tramper, especially as she had delayed seeking treatment, believing from conversations with specialists that it was needed and would be provided as soon as she decided it was urgent. But it wasn't so straightforward, at a time when all manner of simple things like supermarket shopping were becoming impossible.
Going to the supermarket was, was difficult. If something was at the end of the aisle, I, you know, it was just such a big effort. Even though I was leaning on the, the trolley, I just thought, oh, no, I have to walk to the end of the aisle. Um, I got to the stage um, when my walking was so painful that I, well, I virtually stopped walking. But if I needed to go down, needed to leave the house, if it was raining, I, I started using a walking stick. She got her operation in September last year after a stern letter back to the DHB from her GP. But Gail refused to let the matter lie and demanded details from the DHB about why she'd been turned down initially. She was told her priority grading initially was B, based on a total score of 67. The second time round she had scored 88, subsequently corrected to 95, well above the then threshold of 80. But despite repeated requests, she has been unable to see the surgeon's individual tallies that made up her initial score and is far from reassured. I really would like to understand why I was declined and also I suspect there's probably hundreds of people, if not thousands of people like me, who really have just received a very blunt letter saying you've been denied hip replacement. And like me, they've had indications from health professionals that they need hip replacement and probably, like me, are living with a great deal of pain and uh, physical disability. We're over in the Miramar Peninsula above Cracker Bay, the Cracker Bay Wharf. 67-year-old Ismay Barwell is another hip replacement patient who failed to make the waiting list despite a specialist saying she definitely needed the operation. She was declined after a first specialist assessment in February 2013 and after another six months later. I thought I could go back in another six months. I had to start all over again, getting a referral to the hospital. There would have been another appointment and I could have got the same result. No, you're not even on the waiting list, which would have put it on another six months because my GP said, we'll get you there in the end. But I thought, in the end, how long is that going to be? The pain was getting worse and worse, and I was eating anti-inflammatories and taking panadine by the handful. Exasperated and keen to prevent a decline in her condition, which was caused by a car accident decades before, Ismay Barwell took out a bank loan for $26,000 against her house and got the operation privately. I'll be paying that off for the next 20 years, but I couldn't see any way out of it. Either I just had to wait, and I didn't know how long I had to wait, or I did it straight away. I thought, I'm not going to be a victim. No one knows how many people are in these situations, failing to clear hurdles on the path to securing non-urgent surgery. An APA GP and chair of the Medical Association, Mark Peterson, says he's heard that in some DHBs, up to half of referrals go back to the GP. We know that you know, a significant number of patients who are referred by the general practitioner to hospital specialists are being seen by the specialist assessed as having the need for surgery but then being unable to reach the criteria to actually make the, the waiting list itself. Now, once you're on the waiting list, it's actually relatively straightforward and the waiting times are actually quite reasonable now with most people only having to wait you know, sort of three or four months for their surgery. And the other aspect of the unmet need is the inability of hospital outpatient departments to have the capacity to see all the patients that are referred. 
At the Canterbury Charity Hospital, surgeon Philip Bagshaw says unmet need is rising, driven by both the growing and ageing population. He says without the hospital, many people would have to go without surgery, which is neither humane nor cost-efficient. The government is going to have to start to accepting that it is a responsibility of government to provide universal access health care. Successive governments have been trying to get out of this responsibility now ever since the health reforms and they're not going to be able to get out of it long term. And if they do, we're going to end up with an American system whereby large proportions of the public just can't get the health care they need. This is a um, total hip replacement. It basically consists of an artificial acetabular component, which is the cup. There's a number of types of these, obviously. This is a, uh, an uncemented variety. which In his office at the common. private Bullcott Hospital in Lower Hutt near Wellington, Orthopaedic Association President and Surgeon Brett Krauss shows me the parts needed for a typical total hip replacement. The average age for a hip or knee replacement is 68 for women and 68 and 65 for men respectively. There's been a steady increase in both operations, but it's expected to pick up substantially in coming years because of the ageing population and other factors such as obesity. Demand for knee replacements alone is forecast to rise by 250% by 2030. Mr Krauss says provision of the surgery in New Zealand is good now, by world standards, but the future could be different. Our concern is that what's going to happen in the next 10 to 15 years because, as you know, the, the population is ageing and arthritis is more common in older age groups and that means that we're probably going to have a lot more patients with arthritic hips and knees and shoulders and ankles and elbows and things and the question is how we're going to manage that. He says the public system is stretched and under enormous strain already. At the present time, we've got pretty much what we would describe as a, dare I use the term, perfect storm. We've got an ageing population, we've got increasing demand, we've got limited funding. The increasing demand is reflected in a number of ways. The ACC, for example, have become much more stringent about what they are prepared to accept as an accident and what they don't. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but that load also then goes on to the public hospital and that increases the demand. We have a situation where we'd have to say that the musculoskeletal experience of primary practitioners in some circumstances and the graduates coming out of medical schools don't have as much musculoskeletal experience as we would like, nor do they compared to other parts of the world. All of those things being translated into primary care means that there is likely to be an earlier referral of that patient. He says it all makes for increasingly difficult decisions. In most situations, the orthopaedic surgeons are being put into a situation where they have to decide, yes, we'll see that patient, no, we won't see that, that patient. And that's not a particularly pleasant thing to do because you know perfectly well that a lot of the ones that we're turning down we could do something for but at the end of the day funds are limited capacity is limited and so somewhere there has to be a sensible decision about what um, what we manage and what we don't. He and others stress it's a worldwide situation and not unique to New Zealand. The head of orthopaedic surgery and musculoskeletal medicine at Otago University in Christchurch, Gary Hooper, who works in the public and private systems, admits to being unsettled by unmet need. We know that there are a lot of people who 
don't make the threshold in the public hospital because uh, of the scoring systems used who have got hip and knee arthritis. You only have to work in the private sector to see how many people turn up in the private sector that don't have insurance that are prepared to fund it from other means to try and access hip and knee replacement. Have you seen an increase in that, that sort of person coming through? Absolutely. There's no question about that. He says the move to shorten the waiting time from five months to four in January for those accepted for surgery will further restrict access. don't think there's any advantage to the patients. I think it's a political point. That's my personal feeling. It's just a political point. I think patients, if you said, I'm putting you on the waiting list and you'll get your operation within a year, most would be very happy with that. They'd say, that's great, I've got, I've got some surety I'm going to get done within a year. The government made it to a six-month and now to a four-month to give people better surety, but all that's done is drop more and more people off the waiting list. A Wellington orthopaedic surgeon, Nigel Willis, agrees there is unmet need, but says the system is better than it has been. We don't have people sitting on waiting lists for three or five years, which used to be the historical norm in some parts of the country. So I take the fairly pragmatic view that if in the past you would have got onto a waiting list and sat there for five years because you weren't too bad, it would probably be preferable to not get on the waiting list and hang around and then come back in five years and you'll get your operation and you'll know when it's going to be done. And that I actually see as being the ultimate result of this system that we have at the moment. He says paper-based prioritisation or scoring methods known as tools have improved, but surgeons need even better methods. I believe they need to be provided with some tools, which I don't think we have yet, that will help them to choose who are the people that are going to benefit most from their intervention? So this is a whole new concept. It's not particularly familiar to most of us because historically we've just been able to do pretty much what we want to do when we want to do it. But making those choices around who will benefit, how does the health dollar get split up is, is very important. For their part, DHBs are providing an extra 4,000 non-urgent operations a year under a government health target, and the 165,000 elective hospital operations last year was almost 4% more than the previous year. There's also been a 12% increase in elective orthopaedic discharges. It's on the back of $1 billion in spending on elective surgery in the last financial year, with an extra $110 million promised over the next four years. The Health Minister, Jonathan Coleman, says the system is better than it's ever been. Those people who uh, you know, don't meet the threshold for an appointment, you know, they don't disappear into the ether they get followed up by the uh, GP. The other thing I'd say, look, you know, back in 2005 when Labor were in government, there were 33,000 people waiting more than six months for a first specialist assessment or for treatment. Now, at the end of last year, waiting more than four months nationwide, there were only 50 people waiting for a specialist assessment. 50, it's unbelievable. Only 129 people waiting more than four months for treatment. So we've made a massive impact. Much more surgery occurring sooner. Dr Coleman also says claims of widespread unmet need are purely anecdotal. Nevertheless, the government has agreed to measure unmet need and the Ministry is compiling a new data collection of what it describes as referred unmet demand. It will show exactly how many patients referred for a first specialist assessment get it, how many don't and why. The Ministry's elective services manager, Claire Perry, says it's the first time it's been attempted anywhere in the world. Once it's complete, we're going to have a data for the first time available to district health boards 
planning and funding managers and primary care to actually see the outcome for their patients that they've referred for specialist care, the outcome of that referral. So it will help people to plan services for their population and to look at where they need to spend the resources that we've got available to us. And if we have got what I would call referred unmet demand, and it's in an area where clinicians wish to provide more services, then they can see both within the DHB and across the country where that need is. The results will begin being released from mid next year, but surgeon Philip Bagshaw and others remain critical. All that really means is that the people who've been recorded by the system and don't get their treatment will be recorded. But the block, the main block, is in not being able to get into the system to have your need recorded. I'm Jo Miller. I've just been an ordinary housewife and worker all my life and got involved in Grey Power in the hope of doing some good for us in the future. Mrs Miller chairs the Health National Advisory Group for the Grey Power Lobby Group. She says they've got stories from all over the country of people who are no longer able to go out with walking groups, no longer socialise, or who are becoming dependent on home help because of decreased mobility following delayed non-urgent surgery. She says cataract operations are among the procedures the elderly may have to queue for. It's like a little film that grows over the eye. The eye and the person adjusts to it without realising that, the, that their sight is deteriorating. When that's removed, it's like a clear glass all over again. So is it contributory to someone falling over, breaking a hip, ending up in hospital? And you have the hospital charges, you have the surgical charges, you have the home care charges afterwards. How much would they have saved if the cataract had been done? Joe Miller says the elderly don't complain, but they could. Let me tell you, in 10 years' time, when the baby boomers hit there, you will hear a lot more about it because they will not tolerate what our ordinary people now do. The main people that we have in the elderly age group now requiring the surgery are the people who say there's always someone worse off than me. But those over 65 aren't doing too badly, according to Health Ministry data, which shows the age group constituted 14% of the population in 2013, but received 42% of all elective surgery that year. The Medical Association's Mark Peterson says there is more health need than capacity to deal with it. What we'd like to see most is an understanding of how many of those patients there are at the moment who can't get that first specialist assessment at a, at a hospital outpatient clinic and those who are seen in those clinics assessed by the, the specialist as needing surgery but then not being put on the waiting list. So we need a very clear understanding of that in the first instance. Once we have an idea of the exact numbers then we can actually do some planning to actually predict how we can deal with that in the future. We're not suggesting that this can be solved overnight but we need to see some plans in, in place to uh, manage this in the future. Canterbury DHB is the country's largest provider of elective surgery providing more than 21,000 operations a year including hernias and 1,400 cataract operations including for other DHBs. The chief executive, David Mates, concedes hernias have to be quite serious before they're accepted for surgery because of the need to balance other demands, notably earlier cancer treatment, another government target. The need is continuing to grow and we're continuing to meet the need within the resourcing that we have. 
One of the challenges we've got is actually our theatre capacity, is that capacity, and we've, the last couple of years, have been using any surplus private capacity. We've had our staff working in private, we've had dry leases, wet leases, you name how we can use or free up theatre capacity, we've probably done it. He says the DHB is being fair and open with its community about the situation. The alternatives sometimes are things like the Treasury Hospital, sometimes it's um, actually using ACC, sometimes it's the private um, hospital sector and sometimes for some people it is actually the only option you've got is paying for it yourself for certain types of conditions but what we're doing is making that really transparent and being really really honest and upfront with our communities about the choices and the options they've got. The Hawke's Bay DHB Chief Executive Kevin Snee says more efficient use of operating theatres has provided 12% more elective procedures there so far this year. Of course there's unmet need. There's unmet need for every service in the public health system. There always has been and there always will be. There isn't unlimited funding for us to fund everything and I think the population understands that. But what we have to ensure is that we use that resource as efficiently and effectively as we can to give the best service to as many people as possible. But a retired Wellington orthopaedic surgeon, Geoffrey Horn, says greater efficiency will be needed. There's huge room for efficiency improvements in the public sector, but also I think we have to recognise that the private sector is there. Uh, the government has not done anything to help the public, the, the electorate really, to utilise health insurance. So I think there perhaps needs to be some more thought given by government to the ways in which a system can be instituted whereby patients can get private treatment if the public system is not available to them. Private hospitals and surgeries carry out approximately the same number of elective operations a year as does the public system, funded mainly by health insurance. The Health Funds Association, representing insurers, estimates 170,000 New Zealanders need elective surgery but can't get on a waiting list. Its chief executive, Roger Stiles, says it's not good enough. We'd like to see a register that included some sort of estimate of anyone who could benefit from elective surgery. So that's how we would define it. At the moment, GPs, the medical professionals, are being used increasingly as gatekeepers with the focus on waiting times. Um, and with the four-month limit, the definition becomes quite circular. You can only be referred if you can be seen within four months. So only a certain amount of people are, are let through the door, if you like. Labor's health spokesperson Annette King agrees. We want to know what the level of need is and it needs to be done independently. We then need to, to work out where and how we would do that and I'm a great supporter of using every facility we've got at hand, including the private sector, to provide timely operations to New Zealanders. What's happening now is that the rationing is done on a financial threshold and a time threshold. You need to have it based on a clinical threshold that's an agreed approach across New Zealand. Such consistency seems some distance off for DHBs, busy managing their own local demands and constraints. The Minister, Jonathan Coleman, says more elective surgery is already being done and doing even more is the solution. The only answer to uh, more demand is to do more surgery and we are doing more surgery all the time and that is the key thing that people should focus on. At the same time, the government is also funding other approaches such as community-based teams focused on prevention, early intervention and pain reduction to delay the need for elective surgery where possible.
What inroads that will make and what else can be done once the size of the problem is known is one of the many questions facing health. I'm Karen Brown, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to share any thoughts, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz. Our Twitter handle is rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Daniel Bieben.